Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's show. We got a real treat for you today. Today's guest is someone that I know myself and lots of people really think is one of the top contemporary jazz saxophonists of our time. This Grammy-winning artist began his solo career with the 1994 release Ties That Bind, which yielded the number one single, You've Changed. Over his prolific solo career, he has racked up seven Sirius XM number one hits, eight Billboard top 20 hits, and some eight albums. And on top of all that, on top of doing his own music, he has been one of the people who is just like, when it comes to saxophone, like one of the most called upon people to play with the best acts in the world. I mean, he's toured with the Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, Jay-Z, George Michael, Paul Simon, Sting, Chris Bote, and that's just the top of the list. He's one of those artists that his peers respect immensely because he is a pro's pro and he puts on one heck of a stage show. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Andy Snitzer. Andy, welcome. Carl, thank you. That's a beautiful introduction. Thank you for that. Absolutely, man. Well, it's the truth. And I got to tell you, man, like I, the first time I saw you was, well, the first time I saw you was on some videos online, but then I've seen you on stage probably four times playing with Chris Bote. And yeah, and I've always been really, really impressed with what you do on stage. So we're excited to have you on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So as I was preparing for our interview today, I was listening to a lot of your music. And honestly, you know, while I've been familiar with your music for a while, I discovered other songs that I knew and loved, but I did not know that they were your songs. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's kind of funny to me how, how like everybody in the industry like knows you and knows you so well, yet some of your songs to me have kind of flown a little bit under the radar until like, you know, like, how does that happen? <laughs> you know? I can't exactly tell you how those things happen, but I'm glad you discovered them. And I'd rather be a little bit under the radar than off the radar. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So how do you like your music catalog is it's very different like you it's like some artists have a sound that's like that's them like you hear you hear the first couple notes and you know that's them you have a sound and a uniqueness but you do so many different things with your music how do you manage to do that and and stay so fresh and because you've like you've been at the top of the game for a long time so you know my thesis in all of this is is just do what you love yeah I've been a songwriter since I was eight years old. Wow. I've been messing around with production and track making since I was in my early 20s when MIDI, if you're familiar with that term, was first invented. And you were able to to do uh, compositional work and arranging work at home on your computer. So I've always been interested in those things. So when I approach my records, I'm writing most of the songs. I'm producing the record with, with the help of partners, but... So there's a there's a me in print in all those things. And then also I'm playing the saxophone. And for whatever reason, I'm grateful for it. I have a very distinctive sound and style on the saxophone. And at this point, everybody knows that sound and style. I, I've had it since I was in my 20s, but it takes a while for people to know you. Right. Uh, so so all those things kind of conspire to give me a very specific, dedicated kind of sound and approach. And 
that, and this is no value judgment, but not every artist is a songwriter. Not every writer is an artist. So I'm, I'm grateful to have all those things in my wheelhouse and I'm not trying to brag or I'm not trying to overextend. I just, I do those things. So I, I want to express them when I make records. You know, that makes sense to me now, now though, because I think, you know, I've, I've encountered other artists who are multi, I'm going to say multi gifted like you, because you're right. Every artist is not a songwriter. Every songwriter is not an artist. Every songwriter can't produce like, to have all of those gifts is a pretty rare thing. And one of the things that I have found is that maybe that's one of the reasons why all these other artists like have tapped you when they've needed somebody to on their tours, because you do way more than just play a saxophone on the tour. That, that's correct. That's correct. In, in some cases, if, if there's computer work to be done, if there's, there's you know, work, a landscape work to be done via laptop, I'll do that kind of thing on the tour. So, but again, it's all driven by just trying to do what you love, trying to have yourself cast into the right kind of places where you can thrive. Yeah. That's really what has powered me. And uh, in retrospect, I'm super grateful for all of it. Yeah. So I got to go back to something you said a minute ago. You said you've been writing songs since you were eight years old. I, I couldn't tie my shoes hardly at eight years old. So, <laughs> so talk to me about how one begins to write songs at eight years old. So, well, so we had a piano in the house. Both mom and dad were, were kind of very amateur pianists, but they were both interested. So that instrument was in the house from the time that I was cognizant, from the time I was crawling. So, and, and I also always had an affinity for harmony. So while I never became a great technical pianist, I was messing around that piano, playing around with harmony, making chords. I was very young. And if you can make some chords, you can hear a melody. So you make you make some chords, you hear a melody, you wrote a song. Okay. Even eight or nine years old, it's gonna it's gonna be an eight or nine year old song. It's not super sophisticated to develop, but that I started flexing that muscle. Yeah, yeah. Very young age. So the, by by the time I was an adolescent or a teenager, I was really doing that. Yeah, that's cool. And I've always done it. Yeah. Always. So that's just kind of the truth of that. Yeah. Yeah. Was there ever a time where there was anything other that were you always sure that you were going to be a musician? Was that always your drive? I hoped. I hope. I did. I did set up. I got a finance degree. Okay. Okay. College. So I, I set up for the back door if it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And this is a very interesting topic. Some people they just go and dive off the cliff. They don't create any optionality for themselves. But I, that wasn't me. I was a more conservative person. So I set up, if this doesn't work out, I can go work in, in finance, do something, work in accounting, something like that. And uh, But luckily, it worked out. I got to New York, and New York gave me good feedback. New York, New York let me be on like a, a slowly upsloping path. Okay. Okay. Talk to us about that path. How, what, like, like, when did that start? And what were some of the things that happened to get you onto this track that you have have been on for a while now? So I don't know if it happens in exactly that same way now. Uh -huh. because, you know, everything changes. But in the middle 1980s, you went to New York. There were a ton of other young musicians. Yeah. Going from everywhere in the world to New York to seek their fame and fortune. Right. So. I met Chris Bodie when we were 21. Wow. We, we've known each other and worked together since we were 21. So it's meeting Chris. That was a great thing for both of us. I'll say it was a greater thing for me because he's a very powerful rainmaker kind of guy. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, I'm maybe too long winded is no, no. 
go to New York as a young man, as a young musician, and you meet other young musicians. And sure, you're playing it. You're playing in bars. You're playing in wedding bands. You're doing things that people do when they start. But the other young men and women that you're meeting are going to go somewhere and do things. And that's basic. That was basically the power of the whole thing. All the people that I, well, not all, but many of the people that I knew when I was 21 went on to have substantial careers. Yeah. And so you take each other with you. If you follow what I'm saying, that, that young person that goes on to do something substantial calls me. I call them, et cetera. I've known Chris for my entire life. And now I'm, I'm sharing the stage with him on tour. So we're still cross pollinating like that. Yeah. So that's the overview of the story. And the details inside of that are all the different things that come up for you. Yeah. I got to imagine that that career arc, man, you've probably been in a lot of, in retrospect, rooms where some amazing stuff was happening and maybe just didn't know how amazing it was at the time that you were in them, right? Absolutely. So I, I talk about this. Uh, I'll make it a quick story, but take your time. I played a solo on a pop record. I recorded it in 1987. It came out in 1988 and it was for a group that was totally, they were unknown at the time. There were two songwriters that wrote for Whitney Houston and they called their band Boy Meets Girl. Huh. And they wrote, they had, they were a one hit wonder. So they did two albums, but the single, the first single from their first album exploded and it's still played today. It's become kind of like the song is called Waiting for a Star to Fall. Yes. Yes. And it's still associated with the eighties and eighties style of music. You still hear it today played on the radio. So I played the saxophone solo on that song when, when I was 25. Wow. So as an example, no one had any idea that any of that was happening. I was just recording for a new artist that was unknown and recording one song that wasn't yet selected as the single from the album. So potentially they were doing something that was just going to disappear, right? Mm -hmm. Then it turns into emblematic career stuff. I'm associated with that solo to this day. It's a big part of my story. And that's an example. When you're there, you have no idea. Yeah, no doubt. What's going to happen with that? And it's so funny. You say that song and I, waiting for a star to fall, carry your heart into my arms. That's where you belong exactly. in my heart, baby. Yeah, like I exactly. remember those words <laughs> to that song from yes. all those years ago, right? And I haven't heard it in a while, but you right. say the name and it's like, yes, iconic. It was an icon. It was a smash hit and it turned out to be an iconic 80s record. Yeah. So that was my first big break. That's fantastic. 25. That's, that's fantastic. That's very young for something like that to happen. So you have been on the stage, in the room with like really the best of the best. Just does Andy Snitzer ever get starstruck anymore? Uh, yeah, I, I would say if I run into someone new, I mean, this isn't going to be possible because he's no longer with us, sadly. But if I because I never did this, if I walked into a room and played with Prince, I would be starstruck. That never happened for me. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in the room to audition for the Rolling Stones, and I had already, I had done stuff. I had been around people, but someone said, hi, a Andy, this is Mick. And, <laughs> and the person sticks their hand out and shakes my hand. Sure, that was surreal. Yeah, right? yeah. The first time I met Paul McCartney was, and that he, he came to a Paul Simon show and he sat in on one song. Okay. He was, uh, so the song before his song was still crazy after all these years. I had a big solo on that song. Exactly. So, so I played the solo and we were somewhere in, in California. It might've been the Hollywood bowl. I walk off to the side of the stage. He's waiting to come on. And he says to me, do you always play that? Well, and I, looked, <laughs> I, 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 tur I turned to him and I said, yes, I do. <laughs> 
Good for you. I don't think that, but that's what I was going to say right (laughs) right then and there. But, uh, but that, that was nuts to have Paul McCartney say, do you always play that well to me? Yeah. I will never be jaded on that stuff. That, that'll never be meaningless to me. Yeah, absolutely. Cause the, and this is a, another part of the story. The 16-year-old in me is always alive. Yeah. That person is always humble before his masters, his greats, John Coltrane, Mike Parker. That person is always trying to improve. So I'm, 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 that is always inside of me. I am never, hey, I'm the greatest, blah, blah, blah. I never feel that way, ever. Even though I said that to Paul McCartney. But yeah. that's kind of like, <laughs> So anyway, so that's a long-winded story, but that's the answer. It's always amazing when you meet iconic people. Yeah. Well, and Paul McCartney's question couldn't have you couldn't have answered it any better than that. You know, <laughs> like that, that question deserves that answer. Well, it, it, I had to give that answer at that moment. You don't want to go into a self-reflective, you know, right, sort of, right, uh, right. Like self, self-deprecating thing when you have two seconds with Paul McCartney. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. So. Andy, you do so much. You're you, you're making the music as a musician. You're producing it. You're writing it and arranging it and all those stuff. Those these those different things. Like, how do you move from those? Because those are those require different things. You know, physically, emotionally, intellectually, right? How do you move from pocket to pocket to pocket when you're doing all those things? I mean, honestly, I I don't. It doesn't strike me that way. So because all those things are they're in my purview. They're in my wheelhouse. I just, I'm just doing, I'm just doing, and I'm, I'm responding to the kind of the bedrock, the bedrock concern of be musical, be tasteful, be musical, be stylish, and whatever I'm doing, I'm concerned with those things. So whether I'm blowing that horn, mm-hmm. working on a track, whatever it is, I'm, I'm always serving that be musical. Yeah, yeah. Be stylish. Think about your contribution how it affects the music that you're making collectively, how it affects the track that you're working on, all that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, why don't we take a break from talking and do a little bit of listening? Let's listen to, from your latest project, the title track, A Beautiful Dream. Sounds good. Thanks, Carl. All right.
everybody. That was today's guest, Andy Snitzer, with a title track from his latest project, A Beautiful Dream. Andy, this this release is getting quite a bit of critical acclaim right now. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the origin of A Beautiful Dream. So in in the broad sense, every so often you, you get itchy, you want to start making some music. So at this point, it's three years since my last album came out. So it's also... It was three years since I had started working on the on my prior album, and that's kind of my interval, more or less. I, I want to start writing songs and start expressing that way, and it's organic, man. It's okay, organic. it's not. I didn't have this title when I started messing around. Uh huh. You make music. You think I have a nine year old. I have a young daughter, so she was kind of getting involved in in the titles. And when she heard that ballad, it's sort of a classic, almost like kind of a movie ballad. Yeah, yeah. Kind of song. And she said, Daddy, that sounds like a beautiful dream. Oh, wow. So she, she gave me that. Yeah. And, and then I, I, worked, I worked the rest of the record and, and the rest of the process of the record with all of that in mind. Okay. And she's a beautiful dream. Yeah. Being able to do this on planet Earth, make music express as a track maker, as a saxophone player, that's a beautiful dream. Having chased a dream, actually, as an adolescent, and more or less having achieved it, that's a beautiful dream. Yeah. If you said to the 15-year-old when I was 15, if you said, hey, kid, these are the things that are going to happen, I would have laughed at you. Uh-huh. I would have scoffed. Uh-huh. So all of that is a beautiful dream. So, but, but it came, so it came kind of like retroactively and through the back door. Because Madeline gave me that title based on down to her. It's really cool listening you tell this story because it's cool to listen to someone who's had as much success as you really have such reverence for what you've been able to experience and accomplish. Oh my God, that will never, ever, ever go away. Yeah, I mean, that's the basic position that I take. That's the basic position that Mike Brecker took. Position that Dave Sanborn takes. These are people that I've been. Able I didn't ever get to speak to John Coltrane, but I'll bet it's the basic position that he took. Yeah. There's a history of mastery before you, and you're trying to serve that, make your own case, follow your own pathway, but always with reverence for what came before you. So that's how I look at it. Uh, I will never be as great as those people, as Dave Sanborn, Mike Brecker, as John Coltrane. My contribution is minute compared to theirs. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. That's how I always come to it. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned David Sanborn. I'll tell you a little something. I was one day doing something in my office at home, and I was on YouTube, and I found this clip of you and Everett Harp doing a show you called Inspirations. And you guys were like – you guys were doing some Sanborn. I think there was some Grover in there. And I think, if I remember correctly, you guys played Wake Me When It's Over as one of the cuts. And I got to tell you, my I didn't know growing up, I was in high school. My older brother was used to DJ parties and had a little radio station gig where he DJed. He always was bringing home new music, right? And I'll never forget, it was a Saturday morning. Both of our bedrooms were in the basement of our home. I'm on the other side of the basement. He's on one side of the basement. And he's playing something, and I'd never heard anything like it before in my life. And I run over to his room, and I'm like, what's this? And that's what it was. It was David Sanborn's Voyeur album. And I was just like, I'd never heard anything like it before. And from that moment on, I've been a fan of this music. I feel you. I, I mean, that that is Marcus and Dave 
very young men just firing off. Yeah, right? yeah. Young, talented, powerful people just rocking their show. And you, you can hear it. It's not just because it's funky. And, and it is funky. But yeah, there's some kind of cauldron going on there with the two of them. And boom, right? So you felt that way. I felt that way. A whole lot of people felt that way. Mm-hmm. And playing that music on the show with Everett is so much fun. Yeah. It's nuts. We play Run for Cover. Yeah. Wake me, it's over. Wake me when it's over. We play Chicago song. Ah. Oh my God. It's fantastic, fantastic fun. And Ev is my buddy and such a strong player. So we just have a ball, right? Yeah. Up there with someone that I respect and we, we hit those tunes that we love. It's ugh, amazing. I have to tell you a little quick story about Everett. So my very first, I started a jazz festival as a way to do some philanthropic work in our community, right? And we started it back in 2019. We had our first event and we had Jazz Funk Soul as one of the groups, right? And Everett kind of manages the the business stuff to a degree for the band, right? I had never done a show before. I had never, it's my first event that I'm promoting, right? And so it was after merchandise sales, you know, Everett came up to me and asked me how they did. And I told him, well, you sold this many CDs and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to Everett, I said, okay, and I'll, I'll send you a check, you know, next week. And Everett kind of looked at me kind of funny. And then I think he was thinking. And then later he walked away for a few minutes. Then he came back a few minutes and he pulled me away from everybody else. Said, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. And basically what he was doing was he was teaching me that, hey, man, that's not how it happens. You know, when we sell the merch, you pay us right away for the merch because my guys, I got to take care of my guys over here. Right. And then he get, he told me, he said, I'm going to give you my phone number. And if you need any help with anything as you're trying to do this, you let me know. I will always have respect for him because of how he handled that situation. I love that story. Love it. Just so, so cool about it. And like, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Right. But he, he could have been rude. He could have, he could have dressed me down, but he waited and he pulled me aside and he educated me. And I will always have respect for him for that. That's a great story. Ev is a good man. Yeah. And he has an accountancy background. Yeah. Okay. He knows his business. Yes. Yes. Uh, But uh, that sounds exactly like him. The story telling me that sounds exactly like he would do it. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny because he's a big, like, strong guy. Yeah, right? yeah. Because we'll have conversations about stuff, and if we maybe we don't necessarily agree on something or other, and he'll get enervated, you know. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but he hand, he handles himself in a beautiful, beautiful, measured fashion. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So for you, Andy, what are, with all that you've experienced and been through in your career, like, what would you say are the most enjoyable things about this ride you've been on in your career? Oh, the broad overview is just getting to be musical for a little bit, getting to participate in music mm-hmm. for, as a job. It's mind blowing. And also not only that, but to do it at a fairly high level. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. That, I would say it's that, whether whatever the details of the thing of the day or the week or, or the month are, whether I'm on tour or writing or whatever, just to be able to participate in a musical career, be successful. Yeah. And do this for a living. I don't feel like I have a job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's um, cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was, I was listening when you were talking about going to New York and that arc of your career once you went to New York. and 
I, I had a not too dissimilar story. I worked in the advertising industry and I owned an ad agency for about 20 years before I got into this. And I went to New York as a young buck to go and work in ad agency in New York. And there was a point where I kind of figured out that, oh, this is the stage where it really is happening. And I think I got this. I think I can do this anywhere. Was there a point like that for you? And tell me about that when you were like, hey, I can do this. I can do this anywhere. Well, well, there was a point. There was a point where and I'd say it was somewhere in my mid to late early 20s, somewhere around 24, 25, before the Boy Meets Girl solo, but around in that time. I just, I, I think I came to the conclusion, hey, you know, you're, you could, you're going to be able to do this, man. You're going to be able to living doing this. You can let go of that thing that you're holding, which is, oh, eventually this is going to fall apart and I'm going to have to go work in a bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Finance. I, I was holding on to that, like, like that, that sort of this dream can't come true kind of thing or, or, you know, kind of ready for the failure. I was holding on to that a little bit. And then there was a point where I just let it go. Mm hmm. Because New York was giving me that I wasn't doing the stuff that I'm doing now. Yeah. Playing in a wedding band and there was some cool stuff and some more humble stuff. But collectively, New York was saying to me, you have it, man. You've got what it takes. You're good enough to do this. Yeah. I, I remember that psychological moment from that time. That's awesome. So, yeah. Where were you the first time you heard one of, heard heard your music on the radio? Do you remember that? My own music? Yeah. It was uh, You've Changed from the Ties That Bind record. So by that time, so that's like I'm 32 or something like that when that record comes out. The first time I heard myself on the radio was Waiting for a Star to Fall. And that, that was shocking. I, mean, I was in the car somewhere and I, I had Z100 on in New York, <laughs> something like that. And the song comes on. That just blew my mind. So when you when I heard You've Changed on the radio, it was still amazing, but it was sort of less... It wasn't the first time I heard my voice on the radio, even though it was music that was different. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I kind of remember the waiting for a star to fall moment. Then I, I don't remember where I was the first time I heard you've changed on the radio. That's that's the thing. It, it didn't have the same kind of sh shocking impact, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I do. But it's still amazing. I mean, you you make a record as a young guy. I wasn't that young, but you know, interestingly, I the solo recording career was never part of my focus in my I was kind of like I'm going to be like Mike and Dave and be a, be a studio musician that's what I'm working on first that thing came the, the solo artistry thing came from another direction sort of that's a whole other story but it, I wasn't hunting for it like some people kind of came past me so yeah but obviously in retrospect I'm grateful that it did because I love making records I love what has happened with that yeah that's awesome. Well, let's listen to some more of your music. How about we take a listen to Love Star? Cool. I like this one. Very good. All right.
try it again. That was Love Star by Andy Snitzer, another one off of his beautiful dream release. Andy, you said you loved that song when you when we were about to play it. Tell tell us why. The first eight bars, I, lo- I love Before I Come In. So, there, Carl, there is this thing in all this where when you come in, when I hear myself enter, yeah. there's always a little bit of that hearing your own voice on a recording. Like we used to have answering machines and you, you'd do an outgoing message and then you'd hear the outgoing message and you'd be like, I don't sound like that. That's not my voice. <laughs> we all sound different inside. So there's always a little bit of that no matter how hard I work or how, how much I, I do enjoy what I end up doing. So the thing about Love Star is the first eight bars, it's just this super cool, sexy kind of Barry White groove. And I love the way the production came out. My man, John Patitucci on bass and James Howard on guitar. I love what they're playing. So I almost love the first eight bars of that song more than the rest of the song. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't have to hear myself talk, right? Something like that. <laughs> so that's what I was referring to. That's you know, awesome. I love the nature of the track. That's cool. That's cool. So anyway, we do this game. We have this game that we do on the show. It's called Bout It or Doubt It, okay? So if you're about it, it's something that you're down with. If you doubt it, something you're not quite feeling. Can we get you to play Bout It or Doubt It with us today? I'm afraid, but let's do it. Let's go for it. I started yeah, this body body. If you bout it, get him up. I mean you body body. I mean body. We say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. So what we're going to do, Andy, is we're going to spin the wheel. We're going to get you a category, and then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go for it. Oh, Andy, your category today is action and adventure. All right. Right. About it or doubt it. Hang gliding. Doubt it. Yeah. Okay. Talk doubt me it. through that. <laughs> that was got, a pr- that was a pretty heavy doubt it there too, man. I got I got a nine year old and I had her <laughs> later, I had her later in life. I got to live forever. So <laughs> I don't mess with anything where I go up in the air, you know, without some big metal around me. Uh huh. So. <laughs> uh huh. I am like you, my friend. There is no way you could ever convince me to do that, and I it, it boggles my mind why someone would want to do it. You know. I get the thrill seeker thing, and I get that some people are dialed up that way. Yeah, yeah. but I'm a. I like to have fun, but I'm a practical man. Yeah, so, I, I'm like you, so man. I'm a thinking man. So I'm like you. Not my little girl. I'm not <laughs> messing with that. You know, much I, as possible. Right? Like you, I have a daughter. She's older. She's she's 17 now. But on our 14th birthday, she actually did that. She did hang gliding. And I was, I kept saying to her, like, are you sure? Like, are you, like, is there, what's making you want to do this? You know, it's like, I was like, not trying to talk her out of it, but I guess I was expressing my concern with her doing it, you know, but she was like, Hey, I want to do it. She did it. I was like, you better than me, man. That's great. And and everything was fine because yep. 99.99% of the time it is fine. Yeah. 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 You're jumping off a cliff with this little <laughs> bit of fabric around you. Right. So, right. I'm, I'm you with you. That. I'm with you. I'll do I'll do an airplane no problem, but I ain't hang gliding on nobody's nothing, man. Oh, you know. Bungee jumping <laughs> right. none of that. None right. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about we ask you one more about it or doubt it question, Andy? Okay, cool. About it or doubt it. Deep sea fishing. Doubt it. Yeah, okay. 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 So and I've never done it. Okay. But I mean I love seafood, Carl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. They told me we're gonna go. We're gonna go catch a tuna. Yeah, and, and make some sashimi out of that. There you go. I'm in. There you go. 
There you go. So, having said that, I don't know anything about that. I might uh-huh. get out there and be like, get me back to shore. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I'll tell you. In, in theory, I'm with it. So if you get a chance, go for it, do it. I've done it. And, you know, a couple things that I remember from it. One, it is way more of a workout than you think it's going to be. Right. It is a serious workout. But man, getting something. We caught a sailfish. We were in Mexico. I don't remember exactly where we were in Mexico, but we were in Mexico and we did it and caught a sailfish. And that was one of the most exhilarating experiences I think I ever remember having on a vacation was doing that. So, yeah, if you, if you get a chance to do it, go for it. The only downside was, I will tell you this, stay away from the back of the boat as much as you can because of the fumes. So you got to get keep breathing in that fresh air as much as you can. And those fumes can get pretty heavy. But it is a blast to do. Hmm? Big gasoline engine at the back of the boat. Exactly basically. right. Yep. Yep. So pro tip, pro tip. Bro. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. But do it when you can, man. You will enjoy it. Right. Sounds good. So, and I'm wondering if this is different as a musician and as a producer and as a songwriter, but when do you know when a song is ready to be released to the world? That's such a good question. The answer kind of is never. Uh huh. So, and, and this is a trap of the thing. Mm hmm. We're, all, we're like lemmings. We're all compelled to do it. We're compelled to go towards the sea and make music and write our songs. But to some extent, and not exclusively, but in majority, all I do when I hear music that I've made is pick apart the little things that I think are wrong, mm-hmm. the little things that I miss. Mm-hmm. So in a way, the answer is never. But yeah. obviously, it has to be released. It has to come out. So all you can kind of do is go with your gut. I mean, I spend a tremendous amount of time massaging these tracks, mm-hmm. massaging my performances, going over them, taking a break, coming back after a few days and listening again because your ears change. You you hear things. That you yes. Miss. And then at some point, like I'm saying, you just kind of have a feeling like, okay, this is working. I think this, I think this thing is really working. And then later you may hear other things that you missed. Yeah. But you can't go down that rabbit hole. So it's a fantastic question. And the, the answer, I, I have no like bullet point answer to that. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Answer, other than to say, I'm working as hard as I can. I'm being an unrelenting critic of myself, mm-hmm. trying to get things as groovy, sexy, beautiful, enticing as they can possibly be. And I will say one more thing, arrangement. Like I'm uh-huh. crazy about arrangement. Yeah. Because when I was young, I didn't understand this, but you've got a four and a half minute song, yeah. four minute song, uh, contemporary jazz, is pop, pop music, right? Yeah. Arm. Over that four and a half minutes, you have to constantly engage the listener. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to like put bombs in the air yeah. every, every 10 seconds, but there have to be nuanced things. There has to be change right. with subtleties that happen. You have to keep those ears engaged. Yeah. Yeah. You can't dull them. Yes. Yes. You can't, you can't bore them by monotony. So I sweat that like crazy. And some cases I get it. Some cases I don't, right? Some cases in review, I feel like I missed it, but some, but I'm working on that as hard as I can. Yeah. So to make that four and a half minutes. And this is a thing I learned from Paul Simon more than anybody else is you, you can't set up a groove and be like, Oh, that's a funky groove. That's a tasty groove. And then think you can just let that ride for four and a half minutes people's attention yeah they'll like the groove too if it's that good but after 16 bars or 32 bars they're going to need something else to happen yes like, so I'm, I'm sweating that 
all the time. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I'm listening to you, and I, I'm thinking about I had an experience with a, an act that I started working with and really, really talented young musicians. But that point that you just made was something that no one has ever shared with them is the importance of, like, you got to keep them there for a period of time. You can't just... You can't just go off into, you know, into into this land that loses the audience potentially, right? That's right. That's right. It, 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 I mean, sure, you want to do a free jazz exploration as your music and your project, knock yourself out. But that's not what we're doing here, right? Yeah, but yeah. We're, we're in the parlance of song form and arrangement and for four or five minutes to express this thing and keep everybody engaged. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I wish I knew that when I was younger. I wish I would, but it, somehow for most people, it takes some time to get that. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. So when you're not making music, Andy, what is it that you enjoy doing? I love to cook. Okay. Okay. I'm kind of, a, I'm a fitness guy. So okay. I'm, in, I'm in the gym, not as hard as ever it is. Yeah. 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 You know, I do my own thing. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I love to play tennis. Okay. I play chess with my nine-year-old daughter. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm a big football fan. I'm originally from Philadelphia. So okay. Five and O Eagles. Girl. There you go. There you I mean, go. That, that, that's going to change later in the season, but right now, five and O Eagles. They're a good team, though, man. They're a good team. They're a good team. They're I, a good team. I don't know if they play them in the regular season, but I tell you what, I'm going like, what did T.O. say? Get your popcorn ready. Like, if when they play the 49ers, that I think will be, if they don't play them in the regular season, they're probably going to see them in the playoffs. That's going to be absolutely epic. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They see them in in the regular season. And they see Kansas City. Yeah, okay. The regular season. They got they have a tough run. Now we're doing like a sports broadcast. Yeah, know? it's okay. <laughs> we can. It's our we got the, it's our show. We can do what we want to do. Eagles have they kind of have a murderous four or five weeks. Yeah, like in, okay. In, in November into early December, it's gonna it's gonna tell the whole story. Okay, okay, that, okay. What happens in, in those four or five weeks? So they're playing a bunch of good teams. Yeah, so, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, I, yeah, I, so th those are some of the things I, I like to do. I really, right. I, I really love to cook. Yeah, really talk to me about that. What, do you, what are you like? Are you, have you been cooking not, for a long I'm, time? Are you, I'm, uh, not, I'm not like super trained. I'm not get 30 ingredients and okay. make the sauce from scratch, but I would say I'm a, I'm a good collage artist. Okay. Okay. And so if I cook Italian food for you, like I'll make the sauce, but even if I don't make the sauce, I'll get that working. I'll get, it'll be a nice presentation. Yeah. When I, it'll look, Restaurant ready and be delicious. Good. Okay, that's my, that's my promise to you. If I ever cook for you, oh well, it won't happen. But you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> now you're now you're giving me you're giving me a reason to try to figure out a way to make it happen, Andy. Come on now. You know? So, oh, well, I mean, you know, hey, you know, you don't just you don't just dangle home cooked Italian food in front of a guy, you know, and, and then pull it away. away. You know, <laughs> so. fair enough. My bad. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, let's listen to one more song of yours. How about we take a listen to Tonight's the Night? Nice. All right.
ladies and gentlemen, you just heard tonight's the night by our guest Andy Snitzer. And so, Andy, having toured with so many people and doing your own tours, I gotta believe you got some killer tales from the tour bus that you could tell without without incriminating anybody. Well, that's that's the rub right there. So <laughs> most of the really good tales will incriminate uh, very powerful people. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I, I'm having a great time with you, but I'm not going to be in that business. <laughs> I incriminate very I powerful I understand <laughs> completely. I understand completely. But, uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I can think back about being in Keith Richards' room uh-huh. at 3 in the morning in some hotel in Europe, watching him play air guitar to his own songs. Okay. It's like, a, a, that's cool. And, and then listen to Robert Johnson and Ron Wood and Keith Richards sitting there playing along with Robert Johnson. Wow. I, I, I'm not a super night owl. Like I could do that once in a while, but they were yeah. at that point, at least when they, they were in there, when I was around, they were in their early fifties. They did that every night. They, yeah. They, they lived that, they lived that life. And that was fun. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned from working with so many different people, not just the people you've toured with, but people you've produced with and written for? Like, what are some of the things you've learned from those experiences that have impacted how you make your music? Great question. So I I learned a ton from Paul Simon, and we alluded to that a little earlier about because he's kind of a genius this way. I mean, he's not like, like a formally trained musician, but he obviously immediately in his life he understood these ideas of arrangement of engaging the listener of different interesting things whether they're nuanced or more overt having to happen in the course of the arrangement in the course of the track over the life of the song i learned all of that from him and watching him rehearse the band watching mick jagger not that i could ever possibly emulate this but i learned about what it means to entertain yeah what it means to be at the front of the stage and somehow, so this guy, and I watched him from behind him, would go to the front of the stage and have 80,000 people. Yeah. Like, it, w- it was as if 80,000 people were sitting in a campfire circle. Yeah. Around, watching him do his thing. And that was shocking. Like, I don't even really understand how to articulate it exactly or what he was doing. It wasn't like he was jumping up and down, like, look at me. Mm-hmm. It was just some kind of personal command. The way he held the stage, the way he populated the front of the stage, yeah, he could do that, and very few people can do that. Oh yeah, so, that's true. I learned about the, I learned the idea, the importance of that, the importance of engagement, trying to do that, mm-hmm. like having that in your in your head, having that at mind, that because mm-hmm. a lot of musicians go up and and think, oh, okay, it's sufficient for me to just go up here and blaze, and I can have this kind of detached position from my audience uh-huh. that's fine and they're saying to themselves that works it doesn't work right you have to engage yeah you do if it's your show if you're at the lip of the stage you are their ambassador yeah sure you can blaze but whatever in whatever way it means for you you have to entertain you have to charm yeah you have to be that guy so watching mick jagger was a lesson in all of that yeah Giants. yeah i mean more stories like that but the yeah. first two big ones that's cool that's really cool. And, you know, you make, that's such a great point, that point of engagement, because you can tell as a, I'm not at all a trained musician, but I know I can go to a show and I can tell when somebody is really 
giving me what they got to entertain me or when somebody's playing their instrument on stage, right? And the interesting thing is it, it doesn't have to be this. It's Well, it, it can't be the same in every case. Yeah. Some, people, some people are going to be more natural at kind of the overt entertainment. Yes. Some people are going to be more comfortable as players, but in the context of them playing, they are entertaining. Yep. You feel their commitment. You Absolutely. Feel their so, and it's a really important idea to know who you are yeah. and, and to be the best version of that, but not try to be what you're not. No doubt. No Follow doubt. Up. So those are all important lessons. And you obviously you, you see that you understand that uh, instinctively, whether, whether someone is in a good lane for themselves when they're on that stage, right? Yeah. And the people are with them, right? Mm -hmm. And whatever way they entertain. So great, great answer to that question. Great answer. So Andy, what advice would you give looking back over the years? Would you give your 13 year old self about life? Wow. I wouldn't change anything. I, yeah, I, would, good. Say, I would say to my young self, good for you and lucky for you that you always understood the importance of professionalism. Yeah. Yeah. You always understood being on time, being prepared, being respectful. Yeah. And you always, I, I always understood my role is to, uh, maybe there's a better word, but my role is to serve. Yeah. When I walk into a recording studio, as a sideman, even if I'm a soloist, I, I'm there to please the people in that room. I'm there. I'm yeah. there to elevate their music. I'm yeah. not there to my music. Yeah. So I kind I always understood those things about role and that in combination with being quick, mm -hmm. fast on my feet, yeah. you know, mental, mental acuity that let me do that work. Yeah. So anyway, that's, I'm going off into a tangent. No, answer. it's great. <laughs> question i would say to a young person is be mindful of all those things yeah yeah they're, they're important and people care about them even if it's all like we're hanging and it's loose and we're vibing people care about you showing up they, they do they, they do. care if, they care if they're waiting for you and you're not there yeah yeah it doesn't matter how much of a party it is if you don't show up and you drop the ball they don't like it yeah it's going to affect what they think about you next time that's so true that is so true. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing my my dad who passed away and yesterday was his birthday, but I'm hearing him in my head. He was to tell me when I was coming up, you know, 15 minutes early is on time. Exactly. 15 minutes early is on time. And I, I've carried that with me my entire life. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't walk into somebody's, like, their time is their energy, their life, their money. And time is the most precious commodity we have after a while, right? Absolutely. So yeah. I don't believe, like, I'm like you. Like, that's, that's, those kinds of little lessons are so important to learn. They're important. And, and the, the thing is, the interesting thing is, is that even in situations where, okay, you think, obviously, all right, if I'm working in finance, I have to be on time. But hey, it's music. It's cool. It's loose. Yeah. No, no it's not. Right. No, it's right. Not. No, right. Not. Yeah. And even, if, even if people are pretending that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually they're taking note of that. Mm -hmm. You're hanging them up and, and they're sitting around waiting for you. Yep. That's a negative. I don't care how loosey-goosey it is. That's yep. the truth. Young people hear that, hear those lessons and take heed because it is the truth. You know, studio time is charged by the hour of the day, right? Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. Somebody, somebody's just, paying for that studio time, you know? Well, that, and it's also like people, you know, they have this kind of collective energy that's going towards a point. Yep. So the saxophone player is showing up at three o'clock and we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's kind of like pointing at that minute. Right? Mm -hmm. you, get, you get to that 
moment and there's no saxophone player, it's a, oh, yep. Yep. Right? Interrupted the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to interrupt the flow. Yeah. So you true. Go up and move it and move it forward. Be a, a benefit. Yeah. 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 So. All right. That's a good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to your answer on this because somebody like you, who's done so much and wearing so many hats, your three favorite albums of all time. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm going to have to say a love Supreme. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you experienced? Hmm. John Coltrane Ballads record. Okay. 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 And the truth is, like, I'm just winging it, Carl. Yeah. Like, it could easily have been a different answer on a different day. Yeah, I know how that is, man. Same thing for me. But a Love Supreme would definitely be in there. Yeah. Yeah. On on any day. That's awesome. Like, I I, kind of blue could have come in there, obviously. Uh huh. I wasn't thinking so saxophonistically. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much great music, man. It's like, there is. There is. such a treasure trove it really is it is it is what people have put on this earth that way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so are you a musician who listens to a ton of music or are you a musician who's like hey i'm spending all my days making music when i'm on my time i want to back up from music a little bit so what i love is i love my classics right because they built me and then i do this on the road i love walking into some hipster coffee shop like this happened in Houston not too long ago. I walk into some coffee shop in downtown Houston and they're spinning, the, you know, whatever playlist it is. I'm like, all of this is great. I have no idea what any of it is. I hit Shazam song after song after song. It's nothing. It's no one I've ever heard of. Yeah. Right? Okay. One after the other, after the other. And I kind of screenshotted it and I checked out those artists a little bit and then, you know, kind of kept moving. But what I'm saying is I, I love. It's not going to be the same as when I was 17. When you're 17, you go deep on your artists. Now, at this point, I love hearing new and unexpected creativity, checking out what it is, Uh checking them out a little bit and just kind of adding it to my collection. Yeah, that's cool. To the collective interest of mine, if that makes any sense. So It makes total sense. One sense you could be like, hey, you're shortchanging these artists. I would argue like... It's the 17 year old. If someone's 17 years old now, that's their job yeah. to go deep into that artist. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do at this point. That's my argument. Someone could take issue with that and say, no, you should go deep too. But that's how I do it. So that's how I listen to new music is walking in somewhere and hearing a well curated playlist. Okay. Things I've never heard before and getting excited about that. It's not on my own search. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I do indeed. I do indeed. Yeah, I like when someone delivers it into the space that I'm in and then I can go, oh, what is all this? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So, okay, Andy, you're having a dinner party. You're a cook. All right. You (laughs) probably have lots of these, right? You're having a dinner party. You can invite any three people, living or deceased, to your dinner party. Who's coming and what's on the menu, man? Uh, no, and I'm going to tell you before you answer this, don't dangle that Italian food at me again and pull it away, okay? I don't know if I can put, I can't, I don't know if I can put the what's on the menu thing because cause you got, ve- you know, vegetarians, that's that's blessed, that's cool. Yeah. I'm not one of you are, that's great. So I, I don't know if I could, can I really make the menu without knowing something about these three people? Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. yeah. That's a but, fair point. But uh, Okay, so John Coltrane yeah. is in the room. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be all saxophone, Carl. Okay, I'm, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, and, and that's again, like you could you could go broad on this. You could have political figures. Yep. You could have, you could have uh, Mahatma Gandhi in the room, right? But I mean, there's all of that. But yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say it's John Coltrane, it's Charlie Parker, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and who else? Who else? Let's, okay, let let's bring Stanley Turrentine. Oh wow! Okay? Yeah, and, and the reason I didn't pick Mike or Dave Sanborn is I know those guys. Yeah, so I want to bring in some people that I never knew, didn't have the opportunity to know, didn't share the earth with them as an alt, as an adult. Yeah, so that's going to be, be cool. Charlie Parker, Stanley Turrentine, John Coltrane. That's and I, I don't know what I'm going to cook. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. We'll if, let you go on that. To answer that question. <laughs> But if that I pick would... the wrong thing, one of those guests is going to leave. <laughs> They're going to split. But I say, I think that would still be a pretty fun party, though, man. It'd be great for a saxophone player. That's awesome, man. So tell us, Andy, what else you've got cooking for the rest of this year and in 2024. So, you know, Chris Bodie, there's a lot of yeah, that. Yeah. And, uh, I'm hoping to get out and do that show with Everett some more. He's yeah. busy with Like, we're both busy with our main things but where the stars align and we can do that inspiration show that is that's a hell of a lot of fun yeah so open for more of that and um i already started messing around with some new music curiously oh that, cool that, that doesn't actually happen that fast yeah for whatever reason i i i messed around with i've got a couple new tracks going like just kind of in formulation stage so. okay maybe i'll get another record out before another three years wow good for you man <laughs> Just be two years. It's yeah, time. that's all right. That is great, man. So tell our listeners how they can find information about your touring and your your music and everything. So www.andysnitzer.com, A-N-D-Y-S-N-I-T-Z-E-R.com is, is of course, the, the best spot to find out that kind of stuff and link to albums, all that. But Spotify is a great way to hear, or Apple Music, great way to hear what I do. I, I know what my the five most popular things are on the Spotify playlist. Like uh-huh. you, you go to me randomly, they list them by basically by uh, spin, count, uh-huh. spin count. So I like I'm cool with the first five things on my playlist. I'm thumbs up in all of them. Uh-huh. So go to spot go to Spotify, just bang out those first five tunes. You'll awesome. get an Andy, Andy approved version of Andy <laughs> sound. Okay. All right. All right. No, criti- no self critiquing, none of that. So <laughs> Well, Andy, I got to thank you, man, so much for taking time to to spend a little time with us, talk to us today, man. It's been super enjoyable. And, you know, like I said, been definitely a fan of what you do and love your passion and your your level of just professionalism for what you do, man. And we wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you, Carl. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you, man. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Backstage.